Hi, this is Crystal and welcome to Dreaming of Heaven. The title of today's video is Interceding for Others, Helping Those Who Are Controlled by Demonic Spirits. As always, I will have the scriptures on the screen for you. So I want to start this video off by looking at what it really means to intercede for others. What is intercession or what is an intercessory prayer? Now, intercessory prayers or intercession is simply the act of praying for others. You know, most of the time we pray for ourselves and we pray for the things that affect us directly, things that might revolve around our health or our family or our work, etc. These are the things that affect us directly. We know how to thank God for the gifts he has given us and we know how to present our needs before him. However, we don't always think about presenting others' needs before him and think about making intercession a priority. We don't sit down and intentionally pray for others as often as we should. Now, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 44, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them, which despitefully use you and persecute you. This is something that is hard to do and something that our flesh does not like doing. But the sooner we truly realise that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but is against those powers and principalities, just like Ephesians 6.12 says, then the sooner we will start interceding for those who are controlled by these powers and principalities. Now, before we look into some of these principalities and what they are, let's first look at some more scripture about interceding for others. Going back to what we read a moment ago in Matthew 5.44 about praying for those who use you and persecute you, the very next verse says, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. This is another way that we can know that we are the true children of God. If someone believes that intercessory prayers are pointless, then I would say to you, pray for that person because they probably have a spirit of pride. So we will go over this spirit in more, de more detail shortly, but for now, let's have a look more at some other scriptures in regards to this interceding for others. So we're going to read Job 42.10. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So here we can see that Job was rewarded for interceding for his friends. And then we are also told in Galatians 6.7, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Although we often look at the Old Testament as a physical thing the, and the stories that are in there, they also tell us of heavenly things. And what we bind on earth, we also bind in heaven, just like we went over in the last video. So if we intercede for our friends, as Job did, or intercede for our enemies, as Jesus also commands, then we will be storing up riches in heaven. Isn't that enough to make us want to intercede for others, our enemies included? Now, having said that, 
if you don't do these things out of a pure heart, but instead do them for gain, then that's a whole nother problem in itself. And it's not one we're going to address today. Now, staying in Galatians 6, verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So Jesus came to serve and he had to bear our sins. Here we see that we too should be bearing one another's burdens. This means praying for others, interceding for them in love. When one part of the body is injured, the rest of the body has to work harder to help fix that injured part. Imagine if the body just gave up when one part of the body was injured or sick. Well, then there'd be no more body. James 5.14 says, Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This is a perfect example of interceding for a man down. There is so much power in group prayer and the laying on of hands, especially when it comes to illness and deliverance. Now, the final scripture that I want to add here is Philippians 1.9. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul says here, others pray, other people's prayers helped with his salvation. And in turn, his prayers help with the salvation of others. It is very, very, very important for us to understand how much we should be working together in unity and helping one another out, interceding for one another. Now, there are many people out there who will say, but the elect have been written in the book of life since the foundations of, foundations of the world. So, you know, there's no point. My prayers aren't really going to do anything because everything's already been determined. Well, that's not entirely the case. We also know that names can, can be blotted out of that book. And we know that many are called, but only few are chosen. Could this mean that many names that were written in that book, but only a few of those names will be chosen in the end? Those who still have their crowns? The righteousness of the saints? those whose names have not been blotted out of the book? Well, that's some food for thought for you. So Moses is a great example of someone who interceded for people and by doing so, changed God's heart and made God repent. Yes, Moses made God repent. That means that God had changed his mind and he had turned from what he was going to do. God had had a change of heart. So let's read Exodus 32 and we're going to read verses 7 through 14 together. And this is out of the New King James. And the Lord said to Moses, go get down for your people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them, and they have made themselves a malted calf, and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it, and said, 
This be your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land and all I have spoken of I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord repented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. So here we can see that after that molten calf incident, God was wroth and wanted to consume every single one of them except for Moses. And he even said to Moses, I will make you a great nation. But Moses was not self-seeking. Moses loved his fellow servants and knew that they didn't know any better. So therefore he petitioned with God and what happened? God repented. Was this just a test to see what was really in the heart of Moses? Well, it could have been. But if we have a look at the story of Jonah, we can see a very similar situation, but a prophet with a very, very different heart. So let's read together Jonah 4 and let's read verses 1 through 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah ran away because he knew that God would change his mind and not bring his wrath upon the Ninevites if they repented. Well, we all know how the story goes. The Ninevites repented. God saw their hearts and that they were true in their repentance. But Jonah sulked. Why did they deserve God's grace and mercy after all of their sins? It's because it is all about the heart. Jonah's heart was full of pride and jealousy, whereas the Ninevites' hearts were sincere, humble and meek. Jesus reiterated this when he gave us the parable of the vineyard workers. Those who worked harder for longer believed that they should get more and didn't think those who worked less deserved the same amount. This is the same principle applied here in the book of Jonah as what Jesus gave us in the parable of the vineyard workers. It is someone putting themselves above another. 
it is one of the hardest things to put aside, that self-gratification, that vanity, that form of godliness, that me, 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 I've done more, I deserve more. But we are being called to serve and not to be served. And some of us are stronger in certain areas than others. And intercession is a place where we can truly make a difference. A place where we can put someone else ahead of ourselves. A place where we can truly love our neighbours as ourselves. Our enemies also. After all, carrying each other's burdens is fulfilling the law of Christ, just as we read before in Galatians 6.2. So now that we understand this and understand that our fight is not against a person, but is against those powers and principalities that control that person, let's take a look at some of these spiritual forces and see if we can determine what we can do if we see these in our brethren. Firstly, we may need to intercede for someone who is drunken on many spirits. Now, what do I mean that someone is drunken on spirits? Does that mean someone who's had too much vodka? No, it means someone who is drunken on spirits like pride and jealousy, etc. Someone who we would say has that Jezebel spirit, for example. Now, the first scripture I want to look at here is Revelation 17.6. I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. So this is talking about the whore of Babylon. She is drunken with the blood of the saints. Do you think that this could apply to what Jesus calls the evil servants who would arise in the last days? Well, let's read that in Matthew 24, and we are going to read verses 45 through 51. Who then is the faithful and wise servant who his master has made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant who his master, when he comes, will find doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day where he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of. And he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So as you see here, the wise servants are looking around. They're seeing what's going on and are giving the body what they need and when. So giving them food or meat in due season, if you will. Even interceding for them. Now, as for the evil servants, they are looking to a future day of the Lord's return. And during this time, they begin to smite their fellow servants. Well, Jesus said that he will, not might, but he will come on a day when they think not. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Jesus said the day that the abomination that causes desolation takes place, 
that if he did not shorten those days, that no flesh would be saved. So we need to be ready at any time. Now, going back to my question, do you think these evil servants could be drunken on spirits? It's a question worth asking. Now, before we have a look at the 12 main spirits, let me read some more scripture. I want to read Lamentations 3.15. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunken with wormwood. So a person who is filled with bitterness is said to be made drunken with wormwood. That gives us a whole new perspective on Revelation 8.11. How do a third part of the waters become bitter? It's through wormwood. And isn't the whore that sits on many, isn't it the whore who sits on many waters? And the waters which thou sawest, where the whore sits, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues? So it's the peoples and the multitudes and the nations and the tongues. This is who is bitter with wormwood. Because again, what is wormwood? It is a star that fell from heaven. And what are the stars that fall from heaven? They are the powers and the principalities. They are the fallen angels. They are the celestial bodies. They are the sons of God. Spirits like Satan who can enter into people. Well, what happened to those who are made bitter from this wormwood spirit? from this fallen star. Many of them die. And why do people die? Because of sin. The wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, Matthew 6 verses 22 to 23 says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So if you see the good in things, then your whole body will be light. But if you see the negative in things, you become bitter like wormwood you become dark. And if that light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, I just want to take your attention to the picture that I have on the side. How amazing is our body? Even our eyes tell this same story. Under bright lights, our pupils shrink and we have less darkness. But under dim light, our pupils dilate and takes up more of our iris, making the eyes appear darker. I just find this so, so amazing. Now, let me ask you a question. Can the lamp run out of oil? Our lights should be burning bright. They should be placed on a lampstand so that they give light to all of those around us, not hidden under a bushel becoming dim. As the days become more evil, as we get closer to the return of Jesus, 
we need to make sure we have enough oil to last the distance. Because these foolish virgins were fooled. They were seduced by evil spirits. They were drunken on spirits. Now, Jesus warns us in John 16, verses 1 through 3, These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of synagogues, yes. The time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. So this putting out of the synagogues doesn't just mean gathering in physical churches. It also means gatherings online too. And how easy is it in this online world to block, delete, block, delete? This is a metaphorical putting out of synagogues, just as the killing is used metaphorically. Just like when you say, that person ripped my head off. Did they physically do it or did they figuratively do it? Spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear. And what's the saddest part about all of this? They believe they are doing the will of the Father. These foolish virgins are spending too much time focusing on legalistic mumbo-jumbo than on filling their lamps with oil so their light shines within them. Which is humble, meet Jesus. He will shine through them. Getting to know our Saviour is so much more important than trying to unravel mysteries and fighting over legalistic things. Just like love is more important than any spiritual gifts any of us have. These powers and principalities, these demonic spirits, are looking for swept out houses to dwell in. And don't forget that these are seducing spirits. And we are going to now have a look at 12 of the most prevalent seducing spirits that we see today. So here I have a list of the 12 core demonic spirits. I think it's really important to understand these spirits so we can recognize them in others and intercede for them. So we will have a look at each of these with scripture individually, but let's just read through them first. So there is the lying spirit, the spirit of pride, the spirit of fear, the spirit of depression, the spirit of infirmity, the spirit of the antichrist, the spirit of slumber, the enslaving spirit, the spirit of divination, the spirit of sexual immorality, the spirit of jealousy, and the spirit of perversion. Now, there are other spirits like the spirit of gluttony, for example. Now, gluttony is the overindulgence or overconsumption of something. So food or drink, for, for example. Now, this form of gluttony leads to the destruction or the ruin of the body, which is the temple of God. And fasting is a great way to fight against this spirit if gluttony is a problem that you have that's food related. And we know that self-control is one of the fruits of the spirit and gluttony is in complete opposite to that. Now, as we go over these other powers and principalities, just remember that Satan and one third 
of the angels were cast out of heaven. So if Satan, which is one spirit, could enter into Judas and make him betray Jesus, do you think that maybe that other one third of the angels that are spirits as well, that got cast out of heaven along with Satan, do you think maybe they can do the same thing? These spirits are so loud and they will drown out the Holy Spirit if we ignore his convictions. If we allow that darkness to take over us, how great is that darkness? Is it enough to turn the lights out in the temple just like they can do with the sorcery? Because sorcery isn't the only way that someone is going to be kept out of heaven. That is not the only way that someone's going to lose salvation. And it seems to be the only focus at the moment. There is so much more we need to focus on. There are so many more ways to end up in the pit than just taking the abomination. And we need to never forget that. Don't let overcoming that lie of the abomination. Don't let that make you fall for the enemy's other lies. There are so many traps. There are so many snares, so many stumbling blocks. Don't dash your foot against a stone. The only stone you should be falling on is the cornerstone, which is Jesus, who is our rock. So the first spirit we're going to go over is the lying spirit. Now, this spirit might not appear to be outright lying. But this spirit is very subtle and sly, just like Satan, the serpent, who is the father of lies. Now, when someone has this spirit, you will know, because liars always get caught out. And if the person who this spirit is operating through can't admit their mistakes and lie about things that they've said or done, then you know that this person is being controlled by a lying spirit. Now, usually someone who has a lying spirit also has the spirit of pride. Now, let's have a look at some scripture to see what this lying spirit is and where it comes from. So let's read 1 Kings chapter 22 and we'll read verses 19 through 23. Then Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the words of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then the spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. Wow. So God allows the lying spirit. Is this not proof that God is in control of everything? This is why we must be honest with ourselves. It's all about the heart. 
if we see the logs in everybody else's eye but can't turn that mirror around on ourselves, then guess what? We're only lying to ourselves and we are putting our salvation at risk. We are also at risk of being made to believe a lie, even our own lies, to be deceived. Now, I found this list of how we can recognise a lying spirit and I thought I'd share it with you. So under the heading manifestation, it says they will have strong deceptions. They will use flattery to get what they want. They share false prophecy, much like we read above with the lying spirit going into the mouths of the prophets. They will be accusers, slanderers and gossips who share false truths or half truths. So I found that quite interesting because it does sum it up quite well. Now, John chapter 4 verses 23 to 24 says, But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So we must worship God in spirit and in truth. And no, this is not only talking about these end times mysteries and what's going on with the abomination. It's talking about looking in that mirror. Now, John 14, 17 says, The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells within you and will be in you. Now we know the fate of liars. They cannot see the truth. The spirit of truth is not within them. Now Revelation 21.8 says, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Oh, we need to pray against these spirits. People that have these spirits, they cannot see them. They can't see that they have them. This particular lying spirit is not a cute cartoon character like Pinocchio. It is a true demonic power that deceives. So when you see this spirit in someone, just remember, don't lash out at them and compromise your own walk. Sure, you can confront them in a loving and kind way and pray for them because your prayers do matter. Look what happened when Moses interceded. God repented. Do you really want God to repent of the judgment that is coming? Do you love your family and friends enough to try and intercede for them? Do you love your enemy enough to intercede for them too? If no, then the spirit of pride might be holding you back. What is pride? Well, the picture to the right is an artwork titled Spirit of Pride. And this is an artwork done by John Delson. 
Now, John's description of this spirit is as follows. Pride is love of self perverted. Sorry, let me start that again. Pride is the love of self perverted to hatred and contempt for one's neighbour. It is the belief in one's own ability that interferes with the recognition of others' worth. People that concern only about themselves sooner or later let the world around them wither. Pride is the worst deadly sin because it leads humans to loneliness and ruins love and relationships. That description says it all really. Pride is a self-destructive ticking time bomb. This is a spirit we must fervently pray to not be seduced by. Pray and ask to be humbled because God chastens and rebukes the ones that he loves. So smile if you do get humbled. Smile knowing that these trials are for your own good. Now, if you see this spirit in someone else, again, as Christians, it is our duty to do so. 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 through 4 says, Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God and Saviour who desires all men to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is good and acceptable in the sight of the Lord. We should intercede for everybody through prayers and supplications, as it says in that scripture we just read. Now, here is a list of traits to look out for in someone who has a spirit of pride. Fault finding. So they're always pointing out the flaws of others. They have a harsh spirit. So they do everything in a very harsh way and they are usually void of emotion and empathy. Superficiality. Does good things to be seen. Defensiveness. They always have to be right and will never consider somebody else's opinion. They are presumptuous. They assume things without looking for the truth. They are attention seeking, yet they neglect others, especially those where there is no personal gain of some sort. Those who are controlled by the spirit of pride will sometimes be said to have that Jezebel spirit based on the way that they treat others. Now, Matthew 5.22 says, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of counsel. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. You wouldn't even want your worst enemies to be in danger of hellfire. So please pray for these people. If they call you foolish, they are in danger of hellfire. And don't pray just to pray, but pray to really mean it. 
And if you don't feel like you mean it, then be honest with yourself and ask Jesus to soften your heart, to give you a heart like his. Next, we have the spirit of fear. Well, if we haven't seen this spirit making the rounds over the past three years, then I'm sad to say the scales are still on those eyes of yours. Fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of, a but of power and love and a sound mind. And that's in 2 Timothy verses 1 to, sorry, chapter 1, verse 7. Now, most people that are watching this video haven't necessarily given in to the fear that's been fed to us through the mainstream media and pharmacia merchants. However, I feel the need to bring up the fear of what supposedly lies ahead. I'm talking fourth industrial revolution, transhumanism, social credit system, a complete global crash. These are some of the things that the enemy will use to instill fear in us. Never forget that the enemy is after us. Do not be fooled into thinking that you are immune. We are to be as wise as serpents, but as gentle as doves. If something makes you feel any sort of fear, just remember that it is not from God at all. And also remember that when Jesus returns, he said it will be just as it was in the days of Noah. Corrupt flesh, yes, but Jesus said that people will be eating and drinking and marrying, etc. So this is hardly the zombie apocalypse that is supposedly coming. Now, I'm not going to say things aren't going to get tough because they may, but we should not give in to the spirit of fear no matter what. Now, what I really want to talk about here is what the Bible says about fear. Isaiah 35.4 Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come and he will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. There is no fear. He's coming to save us with vengeance. <laughs> Joshua 1.9 Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Doesn't matter where we are, he will be with us. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. So if there's any fears that you are feeling over what's coming, seek the Lord. He will answer you and he will deliver you from those fears. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Fear is not of God. And he said in Psalm 91 that if we make him our refuge and if we trust in him, and I mean really trust in him, then he will deliver us from the snare of the fowler, from the plagues, from the pestilences, from the terror by night, from the arrow by day, and from the destruction. We do not need to fear. This is such a consuming spirit and it will take you straight down to the pits of your own mind. 
Now, we would never want this spirit for ourselves and we have fought over this for the past three years. And we know how it can feel sometimes. And we should never want this for somebody else. So let's intercede for those brothers and sisters that we see that are still living in fear. Those who are still looking at all the things, and I'm not even just talking on mainstream media, I'm talking about all the things on Rumble and all the things on Brighteon and Telegram and all those alternative media sites. There is some like really, really fear-mongering stuff out there. But I don't know how many more verses in the Bible we need to go over. We do not need to fear. Now, the fourth spirit is the spirit of depression. This is that voice inside that tells you that you are not good enough. Another all-consuming spirit. One that has similar qualities to the spirit of fear. Now, let me start off with Isaiah 61.3. To console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So console those who are feeling down. Give them the oil of joy, because it is our light that's inside of us that is that oil that keeps it burning bright. We can give that to other people because we have it on a stand and it gives light to all of those who are around us. Praise them and lift them up. Make sure they know Jesus. And if they don't, intercede for them. This demonic spirit can cause hopelessness, suicidal thoughts and attempts, grief, and of course, depression. Now, with one in eight Australians now on antidepressants, according to PsychWatch, we need to understand that this spirit is also being suppressed through pharmacia. It is being covered up because it has become such a terrible spirit. Because of the pharmacia people take for this, it's not necessarily easy to spot. One of the good things though about depression is that it's no longer taboo. People are usually open to talking about it and this may help you to identify who has this spirit. Now, the next issue will be what other spirits they have now received from taking this pharmacia that they're on, though. Before we move on, I just want to highlight the picture that I have on the screen here. This is from Mordor Intelligence, and their statistics show that between 2023 and 2028, so we know we don't have that much time, but anyway, <laughs> They are expecting a 3.5% increase in medication prescribed for depression. Oh, and have a look who makes the medications to treat this. AZ, Fizzer, need I say more? Actually, I do need to say more. <laughs> the website states that the reasons for this increase in depression is the plandemonic. 
the sooner people wake up and realise that the serpent on the pole is not a gift from God and this is in fact sorcery, the sooner they can start healing. These great merchants of the earth who deceived all nations with this pharmacia cannot make record profits and keep their shareholders happy by making people better. Psalm 118.8, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And never forget 1 Peter 2.24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So him who bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. Isn't that amazing? Next we have the spirit of infirmity. So let's have a look at the definition of infirmity. Infirmity, the condition of being infirm, often as associated with old age, weakness or frailty, a body ailment or weakness, weakness of resolution or character. So it's not just a physical weakness, but it is also a character weakness. Now, when it says the condition of being infirm, let's have a look at infirm. It means weak in body or mind, especially from old age or disease, not strong or stable, shaky, Lacking firmness of will, character or purpose, irresolute. Now that word irresolute means unsure of how to act or proceed or undecided. Lacking in resolution or indecisive, not resolute, not decided or determined. Wavering or given to doubt or irresolution. So infirmity, as we can see here, can either be a physical problem or it can be a spiritual problem. Now let's take a look at a couple of scriptures in regards to this. So we're going to read Luke 13 and we'll read um, verses 10 through 13. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he, he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now, John 5.5 5 talks about a man who had a spirit of infirmity for 38 years. So why have we always been taught that these disabilities are disabilities? Why have we not been taught that these are demons when the Bible quite clearly says that they are? They're spirits. They're demonic spirits that are causing this. It's because there is no money in it. And this is exactly why Paul and Silas were imprisoned in Acts 16. So let's read Acts um, 16 and we're going to read uh, verses 16 through 19. Now it happened as they went to pray that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, 
these men are servants of the most high god who proclaim to us the way of salvation and this she did for many days but paul greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit i command you in the name of jesus christ to come out of her and he came out that very hour but when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone they seized paul and silas and dragged them into the marketplace to authorities wow jesus said that we would do even greater works than he did our power against the enemy is far beyond what the churches teach we have been so suppressed now what i really want to point out here is that the disciples went out two by two and when two come in agreement and ask for things in the name of jesus while operating through the holy spirit these enemies flee now jesus also had to lay on hands to cast out this spirit of infirmity so that's something else we need to take into account here too now let's also not forget what we learned about last week with fasting so there's lots of things that we need to know to be able to have power over these and prayer is one of the biggest ones but sometimes like i said this this whole video is all about intercession sometimes we need to intercede on others behalves now going back to the um girl who was possessed by a spirit of divination the masters of this girl were only unhappy that that demon got cast out because there was no more profit in it so what did we just read before yep there is no money in making people better next we'll have a look at the spirit of antichrist so if we have a look at what it says here on the screen there is no the antichrist in the bible instead there are many antichrists and you'll find that in first john 2 18. all one has to do to be the antichrist is so john first john chapter 2 verse 22 to 23 who is the liar it is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist. So one would call those in Judaism Antichrist, for example, because they deny that Jesus is the Christ. Now, those who are in Islam, well, that's debatable because they, they do confess that Jesus, Jesus came, but he was only a prophet. And we know that they must know that he is the Messiah and that he is the only way to God the Father. Now, let's not forget that 2 Corinthians 11:4 says, For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it so do not be fooled there will be lots of people that are antichrists but then there's also some people who will preach a different jesus too it's like the roman catholic religion they disguise themselves under the christian banner but they preach baby jesus or dead jesus still hanging on the cross 
Well, the Jesus of the Bible is risen and he is at the right hand of the Father. And we only have one Father, which is in heaven. The Pope is not the most holy Father. Now, this is a whole nother video, so I'm not going to go any further into that. I'll leave that there. One last thing that I want to say about this Antichrist spirit is that it is a spirit. It's not a person, it's a spirit. The spirit has been convincing the masses that God is not real, that there was a big bang, that we came from monkeys and that we live on a spinning ball that flies through the air at 666 miles an hour, that has a curvature of 0.666 feet and that the axis tilt is 66.6 degrees. Again, that's a whole nother video. <laughs> However, the spirit of Antichrist is someone who does not believe that Jesus has come in the flesh. That is what an Antichrist is. And again, Antichrist is a spirit. The spirit of slumber. So this one here is a twofold spirit. Firstly, let's talk about the physical slumber. Now, the enemy can cause people to become overwhelmed with the spirit of sleepiness. This can happen through overstimulation and distraction. Did you notice that energy drinks are everyday drinks nowadays? Could Netflix and TikTok and all these other distractions be a problem? There are so many people out there who forgo sleep to binge watch a series. Just one more episode. Do you think that this may affect the body? Again, it's like trying to run a car on no fuel. It will conk out. They are so tired, yet they toss and turn all night long and they wake up exhausted because they're overstimulated. People struggle with insomnia from overstimulation and it steals the gift of sleep that God has given us, which is the rest that our bodies need. The rest where so much repair work takes place. Now, on the other side of this coin exist people who get more than enough sleep and still feel tired. The amount of sleep you get does not deter this spirit. It will make you feel tired no matter what you do. This spirit produces constant and chronic fatigue, procrastination, idleness and self-pity. And it will manifest in things like fibromyalgia, anxiety, chronic fatigue syndrome, rheumatoid arthritis, and let's not forget all the different types of sleep disorders. These can all be spiritual manifestations of the spirit of infirmity. And what do people usually do who have sleep problems? As with everything else, they consult the sorcerers and go get some pharmacia, inviting in more spirits. Are you starting to see why people are getting sicker? They're not getting better at all. These spirits wreak havoc on the mind and the body. Quite often you'll find that it's those who are still deep in sin are the ones who have this spirit of infirmity. And I know this from personal experience because when I was deep in sin, this was one of the worst spirits that I had. Some days I physically could not get out of bed. And let me tell you, I have zero problem with sleeping. 
this spirit will keep people down and keep them from having the strength to make those drastic changes in their lives that they need to do to rectify the sin problem because that's usually where it stems from. Now, what's so hard about this spirit is that the world has made so many sins okay that the carnal mind may not fathom what the problem is, but the spirit is all-knowing and manifests through the body like this. The spirit of slumber can often be very obvious to the eye because of the physical problems that this creates. Now, in a spiritual sense, the spirit of slumber also means those who do not have the eyes to see. So Romans 11.8 says, according as it is written, God has given them a spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear unto this day. So once again, God is in control of everything. He allows the spirits to test and torment if needed. We just have to have a look at Job to know that this is true. So let's read Job uh, chapter 1 and let's read verses 6 through 12. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and an upright man, one who fears the God, fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he is, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So I just wanted to reiterate how God is the one who allows Satan to test people, and he also allows other spirits to test people too. People give Satan way too much credit and think that he is the one that's in control. Could this be why God tells us over and over again not to fear? Now, going back to the spirit of slumber, let's read Isaiah 5:27. This one is for the saints. No one will be weary or stumble among them. No one will slumber or sleep. Nor will the belt of their loins be loosed, nor the strap of their sandals be broken. The girdle of our loins is truth, and the latchets of our shoes are peace. Oh, how people will try to trip us up to make us believe the lies of the enemies. But God will not allow his bride to lose truth because he knows that we are lovers of truth. And as for our peace, the enemy will try to steal our shoes, but we will get them right back because Jesus will give them right back to us. He will fasten our shoes. If God is for us, who can be against us? And those whose faith is weak, we can and we should intercede for them. 
Let's talk about the enslaving spirit. We'll start off by reading Romans 8.15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba Father. Addiction, OCD and obsessive compulsive disorder are all strong warning signs that someone has an enslaving spirit. Jesus did not save us so that we can be held in captivity by today's world. Instead, he came to set us free. So anything that holds and binds someone in certain thinking or lifestyles is a demonic spirit. And never forget that Matthew 18, 18 says, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There are lots of signs that someone can show if they are under this enslaving spirit, such as eating disorders, dependency, self-destructive behaviour, or any kind of addiction. Now, Jesus can indeed set us free from any one of those afflictions, and we brethren can help by interceding through prayer. We need to remember that most of us were slaves to sin at one point. So we too had an enslaving spirit. Now Hebrews 2.15 says, And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. We were subject to bondage, which is the enslaving spirit. Never forget where Jesus dragged you from just as we should never forget how these spirits held us in bondage. We should want to pray for our friends, family, and even our enemies to be released from these same spirits. The spirit of divination. Let's discuss first exactly what divination is. It is the practice of seeking knowledge from higher beings or learning about the future. Now, this is not in regards to the most high living God. This is talking about demigods, little g gods, deities, demonic spirits. Some people will define divination as fortune telling, but there is so much more than that. Now, anytime someone works with guides, angels or deities trying to seek unusual insight, they are practicing divination. So here are some of the most common types of divination in use today. Astrology, automatic writing, card reading, clairvoyancy, dowsing, graphology, numerology, palmistry, object reading, tea leaf reading, and the list goes on. Now, what's interesting about some of these things, like meditation and seeking the knowledge of a higher being, is that they're somewhat biblical. So, for example, we're told to meditate on the word of God, and we're told to gain knowledge from the spirit and to seek God. Satan only needs to pervert things ever so slightly and someone is deceived. This can work for Christians too. 
For example, we are told many times in the Bible that the stars were made for signs. That there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. That there will be great wonders in heaven. Wonders that involve Virgo. The virgin who is clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet with the crown of 12 stars upon her head. But because of new age, Christians have lost the spiritual side because they have been so convinced that, that it is new age. How smart is Satan? Looking at the stars is astronomy. And that's okay to do. But when it gets blurred with astrology, that's where things get tricky. He is such a crafty, sly serpent who only has to ever slightly pervert God's truth. He works through such subtle lies, not big, obvious, in-your-face lies. Every type of religion and belief system has some form of truth. But always remember that that one drop of poison can pollute the entire glass. Now, we know that most of the people who practice divination is what we would call New Age. Now, these New Ages are very spiritual individuals. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been told that you must stay away from a New Ager? Have you had the following scripture used to convince you that your salvation will be on the line if you do? 2 Corinthians 6.16 and what concord has Christ with Belial? And what part has he with an, that believeth with an infidel? So Belial meaning wicked and infidel meaning unbeliever of the Most High God. Or what about 2 Corinthians 6.14? Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? Now don't get me wrong here divination of any kind is wicked and is not of God and we should absolutely have nothing to do with these practices. But what I want to look at here is how Paul dealt with those we call the modern day New Ages. I'm going to read the summary the Bible Project put together as this is a great overview. Now I will link this description, uh, sorry, this document in the description box for anyone who would like to go on and read the entire summary. So this here is titled Paul's Remarkable Sermon. Remember Luke tells us in verse 16 that Paul had been wandering the city and looking at the Athenian idols and that his spirit was provoked within him. Paul was angry at the city's idolatrous practices, but he began his address with praise. Men of Athens, he said, I can see that in every way you are very spiritual. This was not empty flattery. These are the words of the master architect laying the foundation for the bridge, which he is about to invite them to walk across. Paul hated the idols, yes but he loved the God who scattered his truth so broadly that even in a city immersed with paganism, humans still sought the eternal. When he praised their spirituality, he praised the God who has always been the source of every good things that they loved. He commended them for responding to God, even if they did not know him. During his visit to Athens, Paul had encountered an altar to an unknown God. 
Local legend told of a devastating plague that had once swept through Athens. The people sacrificed to every god in the pantheon, but the gods did not stop the plague. The plague raged on until the poet, sorry, I'm not sure how to say this, Epimendes, suggested that they raise an altar to an unknown god. After this, they did, and the city was saved. The altar remained in Paul's day as a memorial to the time Athens was delivered by a god from outside the Greek religion. In his speech, Paul showed that the philosophers were wrong when they named him a preacher of a foreign divinities. In fact, he was simply reintroducing them to one of their own gods, the one true god that they had worshipped in ignorance until Paul had arrived. So we can see here that Paul had to very cleverly preach his message in a way that these spiritual Greeks could understand. He didn't speak to them the same way he would speak to a Christian. He didn't go in all guns blazing, rebuking them and putting them down. Does anyone actually listen if you do go in there steamrolling? No. Their eyes glaze over and they don't listen and you just push them further away. And let's not forget, these approaches are not fruitful. In fact, they go against all the fruits of the Spirit. No one will see Christ in you. They will only see darkness. It is this approach that has the world hating Christians. Because let's be honest, this is how most church-going Christians act. Self-righteous. Christ never wavered from what he knew. He stood firm on the word of God, but he was also humble and meek. Yes, he overturned tables, but he still bridled his tongue. He never hurt people with his words. He said things like, it is written, my house is a house of prayer and you have made it a den of thieves. And that is in Luke 19.46. And in Mark 11.17, it says he taught them of their wrongdoings. Not, he, not that he tore them apart emotionally or blocked them. Jesus overturning tables does not give us the right to forgo things like love, joy, peace and kindness. It is by their fruits that we will know them. These are the fruits of the spirit and not the demonic spirits of pride, for example. We must love our neighbours. Find a way to speak to these spiritual people because they are spiritual. And just like Paul did, find a way to talk to them and get them to understand that the things that they're looking at, like the universe and things like that, is that it was created. There is a creator. When you look at a painting, you don't ask if there was a painter. So why do you look at creation and ask if there was a creator? So the next spirit is the spirit of sexual immorality. Now, I don't have to explain to you what sexual immorality is. But what I do want to explain is how this goes against loving your neighbour as yourself. So let's read Romans 13.9. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, 
and if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Love does, not har does no harm to the neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. Love is so important. Sexual immorality goes completely against loving one another. Love is how we will know who are the disciples of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7 explains just how important love for one another is. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So here we can see that we can have spiritual gifts, but without love, we are nothing. It is those evil servants we spoke of earlier. Those who prophesy in the name of Jesus, those who cast out demons in the name of Jesus. Now, these are the ones that Jesus will turn around to and say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Now, I wanted to do a word study on iniquity, but before we do that, I just wanted to um, bring in a manifestation of um, what happened on Sunday night. So I went with a friend um, because he wanted me to go with him to this new church. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll go and I'll see what it is because he was saying that the sermons were really good and they were all very Bible-based. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go along and I'll see. And it was. It was a wonderful sermon and everybody had their Bibles and it was, it was good. Now, at the end, when everyone was socialising, um, I was introduced to this girl and I can't remember what her name was. But I was so taken aback by this person. Now, in our conversation, we were sort of talking about end times. So she knows everything that's sort of, you know, going on with the WEF and the WHO, etc. Now, when I was talking to her about how um, I had had a dream about the fourth seal being opened, which was the seal of death, she just stopped me. And the look on her face, I have never seen such evil. She then proceeded to tell me in the most disgusting manner that I am delusional, that I have no idea what I'm talking about, that the seals cannot be opened because the, the temple in Jerusalem has not been built yet and the Antichrist is not sitting in there. 
So I tried to talk to her and I tried to explain that, no, we are the temples of God and, I, you know, all, all the usual things that I put in all my videos and whatever spirit was in this person was getting angrier and angrier and angrier. Now, this person went on to show me videos on her phone how she can cast out demons and I have no doubt that she can because like we were reading before those evil servants yes they prophesy in the name of Jesus and they cast out demons in the name of Jesus but by the way they treat other people they do not have love and this is where Jesus will turn away from them and he will say depart from me you workers of iniquity so that word iniquity is strong's g457 and emir which means condition without law or the violation of the law and no it doesn't mean the torah like many people will say it means it means the law of love so jesus explains this in matthew 22 verses 37 through 40 Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Love is everything. Without love, we are nothing but a sounding gong. Love does not commit sexual immorality. But because it has become a topic that is just shrugged off, because 70% of married people have done this, according to the Journal of Marriage, uh, sorry, according to the Journal of Marriage and Divorce, that's 70%. Sexual immorality is no longer looked at like it once was. When good becomes evil and evil becomes good. When open relationships are deemed as progressive. When the majority of people do it so it just gets swept under the rug. How times have changed. How this is a wicked and adulterous generation. Now, tying in this topic of this video how would you intercede for someone who you know has that very seducing spirit of sexual immorality asking for that stony heart that has no regard for their neighbor to be softened is a great place to start a stony heart cannot love and just like Jesus smashes apart the clay jars or just like Moses smashes those tablets of stone, sometimes it will take calamity to achieve this softened heart. Sometimes people need something to be done to them so they can see how their actions affect others as well. So pray, pray, pray. Pray without ceasing because these days we are living in are evil and this is the wicked and adulterous generation now leading on from sexual immorality we go directly into perversion what exactly is the spirit of perversion 
Well, WordLink describes perversion as the act of perverting, the state of being perverted, a sexual practice or act considered normal or deviant, to cause to turn away from what is right, proper or good, to corrupt, to interpret incorrectly, misconstrue or distort. Do we see this happening today? Oh, we sure do. Drag queens doing story hours for toddlers. Genders are supposedly no longer male and female. Marriage is no longer between a man and a woman. And let's not even talk about the human genome, which is being corrupted or perverted. Oh, and how even our food has been genetically modified. Even our two staples, water and bread. Water is fluoridated, which kills the spirit and poisons the body. And bread is filled with chemically derived folic acid and thiamine, which most people's bodies cannot process. And in turn, it turns the body into a toxic waste dump. Satan corrupts and destroys everything God has made. And he particularly wants to destroy the temple that God dwells in. This is why spirits like gluttony are so prevalent today. This is why chemicals placed in food is made to be highly addictive. This is why everywhere you turn, you are spammed with food advertisements. And they're never healthy foods. It's all a part of Satan's plans to keep the temples toxic and run down, tired and feeling dull. We would never put dirty fuel in our car, but putting dirty fuel in our bodies isn't even given a second thought. But because of the way Satan has infiltrated everything, we need to be very careful in these last days. Now enough about food. Let's look at things, other things that Satan has perverted today. The word of God. Let's read some scripture. Galatians 1, 6 through 7. I am amazed at how quickly you are deserting the one who called you by grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is not even a gospel. Evidently, some people are troubling you and trying to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, this scripture should not be perverted to mean you can sin all you like because you are living in the age of grace. No, through Jesus Christ, we are sanctified and we are told to go and sin no more. He is coming back for a bride without spot and wrinkle. So please don't pervert the grace of Christ. Now, this verse is actually referring to people trying to yoke others back to the law. Do you see the left path and the right path here? How people tend to veer so far to one side? But we are to take the narrow road, which is the straight down the middle road. Now, Acts 13.10 says, And said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you sons of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, you will not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord. So Satan wants to pervert all the straight ways of the Lord. He will make you veer on one side of the path or the other. 
he works on both sides of the fence. Now, as I was studying, I found it very interesting that the Greek word for pervert is G3344 metastrepho. Now, this comes from the root word meta, which is G3326, which is the same root word for metapon, which is your mind. So tell me this whole metaverse world that we're living in, in this matrix, isn't completely perverted, controlling the minds of the masses. Science is what some elites tell you it is and not actual factual science. They will tell you it's misinformation. Someone says that they trust the science, but you go try and show them the science and they refuse to look. The spirit of perversion is all around us and it is strong. One may even say a strong delusion. Now, the other root word for metastrepho is G4762, which is just strepho, which means to turn oneself, to no longer care for one another, as in it's all about me, 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 to turn from the course of conduct. We must never forget who Satan is. Genesis 3.1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Ye, have God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He is subtle. He doesn't come guns blazing with red skin and horns. He masquerades as an angel of light and perverts things bit by bit until evil becomes good and good becomes evil. And this is where we are today. Second Corinthians 11.14 says it perfectly. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Equality is something good that Satan has perverted to mean something that we should just accept anything. It's these little things. He makes everything sound great. But when you really see what's behind it and you see those subtle, cha subtle changes in God's word, those perversions, that's how you'll know. But the thing is, you must know the word. And those who are perverted, we again need to intercede for them because it is powers and principalities that are ruling these people. No matter how nice something sounds, sin is sin. Now let's move on to the spirit of jealousy. Let's read Numbers 5 verse 14. If the spirit of jealousy comes upon him and he becomes jealous of his wife who has defiled herself, or if the spirit of jealousy comes upon him and he becomes jealous of his wife, although she has not defiled herself. Now, jealousy can happen in the home and outside of the home. It is a spirit that will rip families apart. It will rip friendships apart. It will rip marriages apart. Now, Exodus 20 verse 17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant or his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, this spirit of jealousy isn't just in relation to wanting something someone else has. It is also in relation to someone not wanting you to show them up for something, for example. What we need to remember 
is that the problem isn't necessarily us, but as always, we must check on that first. But quite often the problem is another spirit, like depression and slumber. These can also lead to the spirit of jealousy. Now, once again, God can send this spirit to people. So let's read Romans 10.9, sorry, 10.19. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. If we continue to read on, Romans 11.11 says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now if their fall is riches of the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? So sometimes God uses these spirits for the good of a person. After all, he does chasten and rebuke the ones he loves. Now, some things you may notice in someone with the spirit of jealousy will be things like anger, insecurity, divorce, demonic competition, harshness, suspicion. If you've ever witnessed or been in a relationship with a person who suffers from jealousy, then you know it's impossible to have peace. These individuals have a tendency to be extremely possessive. On a personal level, this spirit is easily defeated by knowing who you are in Christ and understanding that his will and plan is perfect for your life. Knowing this, you will not covet your neighbour. But what if we see this spirit in someone else? If this person doesn't have the Antichrist spirit and believes in God, then sharing some scripture with them subtly may be enough. The Holy Spirit is a convicting spirit and sometimes we need to leave the job of conviction up to him. We can plant the seeds, but sometimes if we overwater them, they drown and die. We do not want this to happen. Sometimes we need to know when enough is enough and sometimes we need to know when we need to hand this over to Jesus. So now that we've gone over those different core spirits, I hope you have a bit more of an understanding of what they are, how they line up with scripture and what we can do as the body of Christ. Now, one thing I did want to bring up is when not to intercede. Now, I would like to read a few verses from Jeremiah because Jeremiah was outright told by God to not pray for the people. So let's read these verses. Jeremiah 7.16 Therefore, do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry of prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Jeremiah 11.14 As for you, do not pray for these people. Do not raise up a cry or a prayer on their behalf, for I will not be listening when they call out to me in their time of disaster. Jeremiah 14.11 Then the Lord said to me, Do not pray for the well-being of this people. 
Now, when I was having a look in um, Bible Hub, the Elliot's commentary um, I thought was quite interesting. So, pray not thou. The words imply that a prayer of intercession, like that which Moses offered, so remember what we read earlier, was rising up in the heart of the prophet. He is told that he must check it. Judgment must have its way. The discipline must be left to, to do its work. A like impulse met by a repression is found in Jeremiah 11.14 and Jeremiah 14.11. It is obvious that the utterance of the conflict between his human affections and the divine will make the sentence which he pronounced more terrible than ever. So Jeremiah was outright told by God not to pray or make intercession because he will not hear their prayers. So is there a time when we should not intercede? Well, if God tells you and if we are hearing his voice because his sheep hear his voice, then no, you do not intercede for somebody. I have had an experience where I had been praying fervently for somebody and all I was seeing was their heart being their heart being hardened. It was like a pharaoh type experience that I was seeing. So the Lord had put it on me to stop praying for this person, to stop interceding for them. So if the Lord puts it on you, then that is the only time that I would say not to intercede for somebody. But make sure that you're doing it because this is what the Lord wants and not that you're not doing it out of pride or out of jealousy or that you're not being that sort of smiteful fellow servant. Again, turn that mirror on yourself and really question your intentions and where they're coming from. If you had really, really tried and fervently in prayer tried to intercede for this person and you could see that the opposite was happening, then I would definitely go to your prayer closet and, you know, seek the Lord and ask why. And maybe it could be because he's already turned his face from this person. So now that we have gone over the spirits and how they control people and how we can potentially help and what to do if we're told not to, I now want to talk about the ultimate intercessor, the one who has interceded for a sinner like me. I'm sure you've heard of him. His name is Jesus the Christ. Let's read some scripture and see what Jesus has done for us and is continuing to do for us. He is our perfect role model and we should be trying to embody Christ who dwells within us and we should be following in his footsteps. Let's read some scripture. Romans 8, 26 to 27. Likewise, the spirit also helps in our weaknesses for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He helps us in our weakness and makes intercession for all the saints according to the will of God. Romans 8.34 
Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. He is there at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. How good would it be to sit in that throne room listening to those conversations? Well, let's pray that we are worthy to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Romans 11.2 God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Here we can see that it was Elijah who interceded for Israel. Well, here is a revelation that the Lord gave me, which I know that you are going to absolutely love. So the spirit of Elijah was also the witness who came before Christ the first time. He came through John the Baptist. It was that same spirit of Elijah who is working through the two witnesses today. That same witness preparing the way for the Lord the second time. That is us. We are the two witnesses dressed in sackcloth and ashes, preaching repentance, interceding through prayers, spreading the gospel and sounding the trumpet. Many people who believe that Elijah is one of the two witnesses may somewhat be correct. It is the spirit of Elijah. If we have a look at John the Baptist, who beheaded him? It was Jezebel. So if you are being beheaded today, you can bet your bottom dollar it is by that same Jezebel spirit that killed John or Elijah because he was in the spirit of Elijah back then. A Jezebel spirit will never see eye to eye with an Elijah spirit. So to finish this off, I just wanted to remind you that some people are just stronger than others. Some people have better self-control than others. Some people are more discerning than others. Some people are just really weak in the flesh. So let me ask you, will you step in and will you intercede for your neighbour? Do you want Jesus and your fellow servants to intercede for you? Will you be the light that lights up the whole house? I think you will. So brothers and sisters, let's unite in neighbourly love. Let's not be foolish virgins who don't have enough oil. Let's prepare the way for Jesus' second coming through the spirit of Elijah. And the spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.